in the book of 2 Peter, we're going to learn, a, a, I guess we'll title this today, uh, Growing in Grace. I mean, knows that the Bible teaches us that we need to grow in grace. We need to uh, move on from the basic elementary uh, foundation of the gospel, and we need to be people who, who bear fruit. And that's what this lesson today is going to talk about. And, and uh, So in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, I'm just going to read the first 11 verses. Uh, and then we'll go on and I'm just going to show you. I had a neat illustration a few years ago and I never was able to get it worked out on the computer and finally got it worked out. And it's just kind of a visual thing to kind of help you see what's going on here. So let's read the verses together. Uh, this is uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's talking to church people. He's talking to Christians, okay? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our, of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been, get, been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance or patience, and to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Uh, King James says charity there, but that means love. Verse 8, for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even the more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's play, pray this morning over this word that we've read. Father, we thank you for these words that were written down here in the book of 2 Peter. We pray, God, and, learn, and want to learn what it is that you're teaching us today about growing in grace and adding to our faith. So, Father, we just pray that our minds will be clear that our hearts will be open, that our ears will hear, and we will understand, Lord, what you're saying to us today as we read through these verses and expand upon them. We pray that today in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're talking about growing in grace. <clears throat> and the thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, when we talk about growing in grace, there's a lot of times that we, we talk about grace so much that sometimes people get the idea that, well, you know, I'm saved, so I'm good, and I don't ever really need to do anything. And we can't, change the, we can't change the fact that we were saved by grace, and we can't add to that, but the Bible here and Peter is teaching us that we do need to add some things to that faith. That Basically, it's all about God wants us to bear fruit, okay? He saved us, and He left us here and didn't take us immediately to heaven for a reason. And that's because He wants us to be an example to others. <clears throat> so how many ever years we have left after the point we're saved, 
He wants us to bear fruit and be examples to others. And so these things that we add to it, uh, uh, add to our faith, we're going to see, helps people uh, when they see and talk to us, it shows them a good witness of Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to read this verse real quickly and I'll show you what I was talking about. In John chapter 15, a very famous uh, passage of Scripture, uh, chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus was talking to His disciples right before He was to be arrested. He told them something interesting there. And a lot of times it gets overlooked. <clears throat> but John 15 and verse 16 says this, You did not choose me, Jesus speaking now, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. Amen? So it's all about bearing fruit. And I'm going to bring this up here today, and as long as everything works okay. Uh, just an image that came to my mind several years ago, and I had it written down here on paper, but I didn't have any way to, 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 to get it on the screen, but I think we've got it now. So growing in grace, we've got the foundation. That's faith in Jesus. That's never going to change. You know the fact that salvation is through faith in Jesus. The gates of hell can't prevail against that. That's settled, okay? There's nothing can change that. The devil cannot defeat that. Now these other things we're talking about, the devil or even sometimes our own bad decisions or bad motives can affect these other things we're going to add to this faith, okay? But nothing's going to change that faith in Jesus. That's the very foundation of everything... <clears throat> Uh, that we do in Christianity. And let me just talk about the foundation just a moment. Matthew 16 and verse 16 says this, Simon Peter answered and said when they were, Jesus was asking, who do people say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to, unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, now changed his name. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The rock he was speaking of was this confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing can change that. The devil cannot, that's, that's settled. That's the very foundation of Christianity. The devil tried to defeat it, he lost. Okay. When Jesus rose again on the third day, that cemented this uh, foundation that people that have faith in Jesus will go to heaven. They're going. They're born again, and they're on their way to heaven. But what do we do until then? That's where we come in today, talking about this bearing fruit, and this is what G, uh, Peter's telling them. Now we're going to learn in the next few weeks. We're going to go on through this book a little bit in the next few weeks. Uh, Peter was knows he's getting ready to die before long. He he, he wrote the book of Second Peter, knowing he didn't have much longer left on earth, and he said, "I want to make sure some things that." even after I'm gone, that you're always going to know this. So I want it written down and preserved so that you will always know this. Christians who would come along thousands of years later, they'd be sure to know this, that we need to add something to our faith. Think about this. If the only thing we ever do is just go to church and get saved, but we never bear any fruit, we really haven't accomplished a whole lot, have we? We really haven't been that good witness for Christ. Now, I'm not talking about going to the mission field or going out and, and starting crusades and stuff, but it's just simply in your own life, in your workplace or your family, you can be an example of Christ to others. And that's what Jesus is talking about, okay? And that's what Peter's talking about here as well. So let's get over here to this foundation. <clears throat> this is the foundation, and we talked about it, remember, at length the last couple of weeks. We, uh, one week we spent a lot of time talking about this foundation 
uh, Simeon even talked about it, that this is the very foundation of everything we believe. Nothing's going to change it. This was another way he put it was that he was the chief cornerstone. He was the stone that the builders rejected. Now he's become the chief cornerstone. Peter talks about it here and he's talking about this is the foundation, okay? So it says now that now that we have faith, the rock that the church is built upon, the, the foundation is Jesus Christ, right? Hebrews chapter 6 tells us something important and it goes right along with this. It says they're leaving... Uh, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. All that is within the foundation. So Hebrew, even Hebrews tells us, okay, now you need to move on from that. That's, that's in place in your life. If you've believed in Jesus, those are the things you believe. That Jesus Christ rose and uh, died and rose again and on and on and all the things that we always talk about. That's the foundation. Now we need to move on. The Hebrews there called it, move on to perfection. Peter's referring to it as, as uh, Paul talked about it one place as growing in grace. And here Peter's going to talk about, and he's going to phrase it this way, add to your faith. Add to your faith these things. Because the end game is that you'll be fruitful and not be barren, right? Look at verse 8. This is the end game. This is the, this is the end result of why we're doing these things. Verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are we going to add? We're going to add virtue. See how that bounces in? I found that last night. I thought that was neat. It's like somebody putting another stone up on there. I like that. It's pretty neat. I'm still playing with it, so I'm learning some stuff. But Virtue. <coughs> What's another word for virtue? We may not understand that word if we don't read the King James Bible a lot. A way we would phrase it today is moral excellence. A moral excellence. A high standard for ourself. Now, I'll give you an example. Some funny things that has happened through my life. Nobody here, and I don't think really even anybody in the world, would argue with you that it's wrong to steal. Even people who aren't born again, there's just something in them they kind of know, I shouldn't break in somebody's house and take other people's things. Or I shouldn't break in their car. There's kind of that knowledge in every human being. But especially in a Christian, we're supposed to absolutely know that that's wrong to steal. But what about when the line gets blurred? When we don't think it's stealing and we rationalize and we talk ourselves out of it. I'll give you an example of my grandmother. She, We were talking about this the other day and... Uh, she was always, she'd get on a kick about talking. She said, they're taking taxes out of this and taxes out of that and all of these things, bunch of different stuff. And down where we live, there's four horseshoe curves. And they, back when I was a young kid and teenager and growing up, uh, they would, the state road would come and dump out little piles of gravels at each horseshoe curve so that when it got bad and they couldn't get the truck down there, they, people could grab a shovel and throw them out and get around those horseshoe curves when it was iced up. Mama told me one day, and she was talking about it, and she'd done rationalized it in her mind, and she said, we're going to go up there, we're going to get a few of them gravels. She said, I've paid for them in paying taxes, right? And so, and that, that was one of them things where we have to think and stop and say, wait a minute, is that moral excellence? Is that virtue? So, me being the good grandson, I did it. I went and got her some. Then, at that point in time, same point in time, and I'm not trying to blame her for this, I'm just saying this is how our minds work. At that same point in time, I just built me a nice little new building that to park my lawnmower and stuff like that in. 
and it was muddy in there. Needed some gravels. I said, well, I pay taxes too. Nobody's used them gravels in the last three years. The pile's still just as fresh as it's ever been. So I'm going to go up there and I'm going to get me some, some of them gravels. And I'm going to put it in here and I put it in my building and I'll have something nice to walk on. won't be walking in mud. A little few weeks later, I got to noticing some of my tools hanging on the side of the thing, side of the inside the building, because it'd be shut up all day. They were getting rusty, surface rust coming on them and stuff. And I thought, that's weird. They'd been in here for three or four months and hadn't rusted. Something about those gravels. Well, I got to look and they had a bunch of rock salt in them gravels too. And so now I'd coop that up in there and it was getting cold and hot during the day and it was causing all that to sweat and release that salt. So then, because I didn't have a lot of moral virtue, moral excellence, I'd stole the state roads gravels, right? See, I'd rationalize they belonged to me anyway. It was for our use. Nobody's using them on the road. I'll use them in my building, right? Well, I learned a hard lesson. I said, well, I got to get that salt out of there. So I go over and I take a water hose and I just watered that down and made that salt dissolve and run out of there. About two or three days later, supposed to be springtime and the grass supposed to be growing. Man, I killed, I don't know how much grass. That salt ran out of there and it was so concentrated, it killed all my grass in front of the building. Anyways, long story short, had I had some moral excellence about me and realized I probably shouldn't do that, all that could have been avoided. So when the line gets blurry, that's what he's talking about. Add to your faith virtue. Yeah, we know it's not right to steal, but what about when it's, uh, I don't know. Give you an example. Maybe you all haven't experienced something like that, but I'd say most of you who've shopped at a grocery store, maybe retail also, <clears throat> but especially at a grocery store, you got your buggy, you come up to the conveyor and you empty that buggy out lady or somebody's ringing them up, ringing them up, ringing them up. You pay, you get your stuff, you go out in the car and you're emptying your bags and you realize it was an item that didn't get run through the register. Now humans say, and human logic says, well that's on them. They should have seen that. I didn't do it on purpose, so I'm not paying for that. But what would moral excellence say to us? What would virtue say? I realize this is an oversight. I should probably take that back in and pay. Right? So those are just things, what he's talking about, virtue. Add virtue to our faith in Jesus. Let us have a high moral standard. Let's always, if at all possible, always do the right thing. But it's those sticky situations where, you know, our mind will work on us and say, well, well, I mean, I, I didn't do it on purpose. They should have caught that. Their, it's their job to catch it. They work there. Right? So anyway, add moral excellence to our faith. Because why? Other people will see that. Now you see, some of my friends at the time, they were close and we'd get together and stuff and hang out on the weekends or have a cookout or something, and they just laughed and laughed and laughed at me because I killed all that grass. But it was because I'd stolen it. I'd stolen gravels that they weren't designed for me to take and put in my building. So had I had some moral excellence, added virtue to my faith, all that would have never happened, right? So it's very interesting. I had a friend too, one of those same friends, <coughs> Me and him got in a pretty good discussion about it. Uh, he was living at a place, and this was when Wi-Fi first started, and his neighbors didn't have their Wi-Fi blocked or locked, and he was tapped off. Of, he, was getting, he was running his internet off of their stuff and then got mad when they locked it. And I said, dude, I believe that's stealing. Well, no, it ain't stealing. They should have had it locked. See, that's the way our minds think. But moral, moral excellence, virtue, add that to our faith in Jesus. It would be a high moral standard in our life because 
Contrary to popular belief and, and what we might think in our mind, people are watching us, especially Christians. They're just looking for a reason to not want to follow God, right? Just like with churches, people will say, well, you know, that church, I need this and I need that, and they don't have this. There's always looking for some reason to excuse them from following God. So let's add virtue. Let's add moral excellence to our faith. Amen? And to f- virtue, and see, this is like we're building this thing. But to me, that's how I see 2 Peter chapter 1. You know, we're adding it to it. It's like a becoming a building. This is what people are going to see when they see us. Amen? So add to your virtue, <clears throat> knowledge. Knowledge of what? Well, I like to look at it this way. That's a relationship between us and God and growing in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And this knowledge comes from revelation of the Holy Spirit through preaching, teaching, reading the Bible, prayer, meditation, etc. And it's all based on this. If we're, if we're trying to learn something about this continually, adding it to our faith, yeah, we're saved, we're born again, we're going to heaven, but we want to add knowledge now. And you'll find knowledge in here. Amen? You'll find knowledge in the Bible. That's why it's important for Christians to come to church. Maybe they don't like reading the Bible on their own and they have a problem understanding it. That's why somebody comes and stands up here to do it because they have been given the gift to help people understand. That's why it's important to come to church when you can. Amen? Amen. Uh, Later on in in, uh, uh, Peter, it says, to desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Right? Amen. So we've added to our faith in Jesus Virtue, moral excellence. Now we want to add knowledge. Let's learn about God. Let's learn how He handled things. Let's learn how He dealt with people. And specifically, let's learn how Jesus handled things and how He lived. And you're going to see these next few things. We can really learn a lot of good examples from Jesus. Amen? So we're going to add to our faith virtue. And to virtue, we add knowledge. And to knowledge, King James says temperance or Newer versions say self-control. You mean we have to control ourselves and control our anger and control our emotions as Christians? Unfortunately, yes. I know sometimes we don't like to. That's the whole definition of emotion, isn't it? We just want to blow our top or tell somebody off or do whatever. We have that instant response that comes up to our flesh and we just want to let it out. But we're adding to our faith now temperance, patience, self-control. Amen? Sometimes that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Somebody cuts you off in traffic and you've had a bad day and you're like, you what do you want to do? You just want to lay on that horn and you always hold it just a little extra long, don't you? Instead of just bit, bit to let you know, hey, you cut me off. I know a very special lady to me who lives in my house when that happens, it's she makes sure they know she's back there. Amen. So that's the thing I'm talking about. We know we all fail in these things, but that's what Peter's saying. I want you to add these things to your faith so that when people see you and experience you and are around you, they're like, man, I can see that that person's putting forth an effort to try to do good, right? And to do better. Temperance or self-control, the definition that comes to me is allowing the Holy Spirit to keep us in check in all of our ways. 
Resist carnal things and to resist impulsive actions, right? Have you ever in your mind, our, our flesh is a, is a strange thing. That's why the Bible says it's at enmity with God. Maybe not, a, it may not even be a sinful thing, but something comes to your mind, you'll see it somewhere else or see somebody else have something and all of a sudden in your mind, okay, I'm going to start working and I'm going to get that. And I mean, you've done settled it in your mind that quick that that's what I want. And you're ready the next day to go buy it. But if you have a little self-control and patience and stop and pray about it and think about it, a lot of times you'll decide, you know what? That's not a good idea. That's why we need self-control. And only the Holy Spirit can help us do that. We have to cooperate with Him. Amen? So we've got to add self-control. Like I said, some people... The Bible says turn the other cheek. See, our flesh doesn't like these things, right? But Peter said, I'm getting ready to be gone. And I learned from Jesus firsthand and I know what he wants us to do. And this is what we need to do to be good witnesses and to be fruitful. Amen? Amen. So we're going to add to our self-control now. Patience and perseverance. And everybody says, y'all just skip that one. Skip it, Rick. We don't want to talk about patience and perseverance. We want things the way we want them, when we want them, and we want them now, right? So let's just skip that one, right? No, we can't skip it, can we? It's the Word of God. Patience or perseverance. <clears throat> I define it this way. To be content in whatever state we're in. Oh, no, but we want more. I want to do more. I want this. I want that, Right? Sometimes we get impatient with where we're at at that moment. I get impatient a lot of times and I have to talk with Michelle and talk with the Lord. You know, we came down here four or five years ago and I really thought it would be full by now. I thought there'd be a whole room full of people and we'd either have to build on or move somewhere else. So I sometimes get impatient. I'm like, Lord, I know we're giving your word to people and there needs to be more people here. So I get impatient sometimes. But the Holy Spirit has to remind me and Michelle helps me too. Say, hey, we just abide where we're at right now. And when things need to change or whatever, the Lord will take care of that. So patience and perseverance, that's for every person. That means to wait on the Lord with patience and not anxiety. So you can wait on somebody, but you not be doing it patiently. Sometimes the, uh, this person that I speak of who lives in my house that I love very much, this lady that I love with all my heart, Sometimes she makes me wait. And I have to wait on her to show up or wait on her to get ready and leave and things. And sometimes I'm guilty of not being waiting patiently. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. But it's not patient. I'll be patient or I'll be making comments. I'll be doing this, doing that. That's not patience and perseverance, is it? Amen. So we have to do that. We have to let that be part of our character. And it also works with the Lord. You know, we know the Lord has good things for us. We know that. Sometimes when we don't see those good things happening, we get impatient. We try to make them happen, right? We try to get God to move a little quicker than He's ready to move. So sometimes we just need patience and to completely trust Him. You know, if we get up each day and we start the day and say, Lord, you know, be with me today and guide me the way I should go. If He guides you that day, wherever He takes you, you're in the right place. Amen? And if He just guides you to go to work and be this type of person in front of people, 
and then turn around the very next day and come back and do it again. You're in God's will. Amen? And you're doing what He asked you to do. That's patience and perseverance. Amen? Think about this. <clears throat> There's many people in the Scriptures who had to wait a long time for God's promises to come in their life. I think about Abraham. He was 75 years old when he received the promise of a son born out of his own body. But he waited 25 years before it happened. Simeon, we just finished talking about, remember the last four studies we had, the last four uh, messages we had was about Simeon's prophecies. Only four or five verses there that he really talked about anything. We learned a lot from him. He was an old man. He'd waited a long time to see the Lord's Messiah. But it came, didn't it? So patience, perseverance. I know those make us very uncomfortable, but they're part of a God-like character. Amen? Amen. And also... As I mentioned before, we need to be patient with each other, be patient with other people. You know, I used to get impatient about people, the way they drove and stuff like that, but maybe it's come with a little bit of age, I don't know, or maybe some to do with the Lord helping me with it. Somebody will cut you off or they'll do this, and I just, I always try to give them an out. I'm like, well, you know, maybe they're in a hurry. Maybe they didn't see me. Maybe they're distracted. You know, I try to do that. And so that's something that I've gotten better at as the years have gone by. I'm not saying I'm perfect on that by any means, but that's just patience, being patient with other people, you know, <laughs> because sometimes when you're already agitated and then somebody gets under your skin, it ramps that old flesh up and what? Then we blow all this stuff and people are like, that guy's a Christian? Well, I don't know about that, but see, this is what the Lord wants people, He wants others to see this about us. That we're patient. We persevere. We're in it for the long haul. Amen? So what are we going to add to patience or perseverance? Godliness. <clears throat> Having a godlike character. And how do we know what a godlike character is? See, it's built. See, all these things are building on each other. I know it because of knowledge through this in His Word. I know how God responds. And I know if I'll take my time and read this book and spend some time in it or spend some time letting somebody teach it to me, whatever, you'll learn this about God, that He is way more patient than any human that's ever lived. So we always want to talk about God's wrath and use that to scare people into following Him, right? But the fact of the matter is this, God is very long-suffering. And He wants all people to come to Christ, come to repentance, and He's using us to show His character. Think about Jesus when He was on the earth. Has there ever been a more godly person live on earth? Nope. Jesus accomplished this godliness. He showed us what God was like and how God responded in every situation. So having a character or a demeanor that's like God, this comes also by being led by the Holy Spirit and being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Still all based upon this. Amen. Respond like Jesus did. Read the Gospels. The Gospels show us, Jesus came and He said, look, if you want to see God, if you want to know what the Father looks like, He said, look at me. I'm going to show you what He's like. I'm going to show you what His character is. And you can emulate that. So respond the way Jesus did in those Gospels, those four Gospels. 
right? And you'll see that the apostles came along after as they wrote these books we're reading now. They responded in that way. They followed the teachings of Christ and responded the way He did. Peter was a man who when they come to arrest Jesus, he cut one of the guy's ears off that arrested Jesus, right? He was ready to fight to defend his Lord, right? But later on, they said he was led away and didn't resist at all to go to his death because he believed in Christ. Transformed. The Apostle John, who wrote a whole lot of these epistles, and also the Gospel of John. There's a place in the in, when Jesus was here on earth, people didn't believe in Jesus and they weren't responding to Jesus the way that they should have been. And you know what John said? Lord, do you want us to call fire down like Elijah did and destroy him? And Jesus said, John, you don't know what spirit you're of. That's not godliness. Godliness is showing mercy to people and giving them an opportunity to change. Amen? So add godliness to our patience and our perseverance. Live like Jesus did. Don't be so concerned with every little thing going on in the world that maybe is going to make us richer or give us more money. I was talking to one of my friends the other day and I was helping him out a little bit and I realized, it's like, dude, you, you're just running here and there and all the place. You don't have time for nothing. I mean, you're just at a dead run all the time. You always got somewhere else to be or something else to do. And I'm thinking, man, you need to just, I wish you'd just slow down a little bit, enjoy life a little. You don't need to keep chasing them dollar bills because... You're not finding fulfillment in it. You're just finding stuff, you know. So add godliness to our patience and perseverance. And brotherly kindness. Add, add to our godliness brotherly kindness. That means to love like siblings love. You know, sometimes siblings disagree. If you grew up in a house and you had siblings, I'll guarantee you, you had some arguments. And I guarantee you there may have even been some fisticuffs. There may have been throwing stuff at each other. And there may have been bad words shared toward each other. But it's a funny thing, and I've seen it, I've seen it growing up with me and my brother and sister and didn't really pay attention to it as much as it has been with my own kids, watching them grow up. They can fight to the death one minute and be best friends the next. So have that brotherly kindness with your fellow Christians. Maybe you will disagree from time to time. Maybe there will be issues that come up and, and you realize, I, I'm, no, you're wrong, you're wrong. But don't let it go to the form of hatred where we're not exhibiting brotherly kindness, right? Be unified in the body of Christ just like siblings are unified because they share the same parents and treat others the way that we wish to be treated. Have brotherly kindness in your heart. People will see that, right? They will see that. And what are we going to add? And this is the crowning achievement. The crowning thing to add, caps it all off, is love. Or Bible, uh, New, uh, King James says charity. But it means love. You can do all of those things from... Uh, even people in the world can do virtue. They can gain some knowledge. They can have self-control. They'll be perseverance. They may not have as much godliness, but they'll be real nice. But the love is what caps it off. Love is what makes it all come together. It's the crowning achievement. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1 and 5, Now the end of the commandment is charity or love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. 
We have to have uh, compassion and caring for others. And we have to put actions with our feelings. See, love is not just something that we feel. <clears throat> Hollywood has ruined that word. Modern society has ruined that word. They think love means, oh, make me feel gushy, make me feel something. It's not just the feeling something, it's doing something afterward. See, we can say we have love for this, this, and that, but when we see someone in need and do nothing, the Bible says we don't have that love. So he's saying add to your brotherly kindness, love, charity. Add that to your faith. Have a strong compassion and caring for others. And part of this having love as part of our witness and part of the fruit that other people can partake of. We have to speak the truth and speak it in love. We have to speak the truth in love. Now, even when we do that, sometimes people don't want to hear that. That's, that's fine. But if we speak it in a way that's godly, with brotherly kindness, people will say, you know what? They told me something I didn't really want to hear, but they told me in a way that makes me know they do care about me. See, there's so many people that teach and preach about hellfire and brimstone, and that's right, that's true. But they preach it in such a way that it's almost like they're happy people's going to go there. That's not the right, that's not having godliness and all this in their life. There are going to be people that die and go to hell, but that saddens me. I don't want that to happen to people. So we have to speak the truth in love. When somebody comes and says, well, you know, such and such told me that this was okay and God didn't frown on it, you can look and say, hear me out. I'm going to tell you the truth. They told you a lie. I can take you and show you right here what the Bible actually says. And that's speaking the truth in love. So all these things built upon each other brings us to this grand cathedral or whatever it is. That's you and I. As individuals, this is what God wants us to be. When other people talk to us and see us, He wants them to see these things in our life. And we have to be honest enough that when we don't show those things to others, we need to be honest enough with the people we're trying to win and say, I'm still a work in progress as well. And God's still working on me. And I know I made a mistake here and I, I was short with you. I shouldn't have done that. Whatever the case may be. So Peter's saying, add to your faith. Paul said it by growing in grace. Moving on to perfection. Because if you take away all those things and all you have is just faith in Jesus, we're not really going to accomplish a lot for the Lord, are we? We'll be that unfruitful servant that really didn't accomplish anything for Him. And like I said, if God saved us 30 or 40 years ago, it's because He's given us 30 or 40 years to be this to others. Amen? Amen. I want to close with that and then read verse 8 one last time as we get ready to close. For if these things are yours <clears throat> and abound, you will neither be uh, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse nine, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things. 
you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's a promise that we never seem to talk about, but it takes some effort on our part. Peter just, in the Word of God here, by the Holy Spirit, made us a promise. If these things are yours and abound, you will not stumble. That's a promise. Hallelujah. Amen. So let's close this morning as we get ready to pray and go about our week. Think about these things. Go back maybe this week and reread those. It's just a couple verses there in, in 2 Peter. Add these things to your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And we will be fruitful Christians for doing so. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. We give you thanks, Lord, for your goodness and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which we've read here today. We thank you for that foundation. We thank you, Lord, for our faith in Christ that you drew us into yourself. We thank you, Lord, that that's cemented. That that's can't be changed, that the devil cannot defeat that. That can't be affected in any way. But, Lord, we know the things that we build upon that can be affected negatively by the enemy or by us by making bad decisions. So help each and every person who hears this voice today read this again through the week and talk with their friends about it, talk with their family about it, and start to exhibit these things and make a, a, a conscious effort to add these things to our faith in Jesus. Let us be virtuous people who has knowledge of the Bible and has self-control and patience and loving kindness and godliness in our life. And, and we do everything we do in love because we truly do care about people and we care about where they're going to spend eternity. So, Father, I pray for each and every person here today and those that may hear later that you just uh, ingrain this word within them today by the Holy Spirit. That we'll all make good efforts and be even better efforts to have these things be in our life that others may see and that they may grow thereby as well. And maybe even someone may see it that doesn't even know Christ and it'll cause them to want to understand more about him and we can talk with them uh, uh, about him. So, Father, I pray that in Jesus' name today. I pray that you keep each and every person safe to the next appointed time we meet. Amen and amen.